0: If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be there in just a few moments. Mark chapter 10. Um, And as we're going through this tonight, uh, once again, we're in the morning talking about uh, distinctive discipleship. And then in the evening time, we're kind of unpacking some of these truths and how we're sort of putting your plan together. So um, if you look on that uh, top paragraph there, it says, Session 2 of Distinctive Discipleship is all about discovering delight. If we can truly comprehend that the fullness of God dwelt in Christ... And now the fullness of Christ dwells in us. It should cause us to become overwhelmed with the joy that energizes our desire to take advantage of that blessed nearness. And so if we think through um, really tonight about what would it look like for all of us to have that sense of just absolute delight in following Jesus. The person, uh, if you think through for a moment, can you think through of that person in your life who always just seemed to just really be honored that they get to walk with Jesus it didn't seem to be a burden to them. It seemed to be an actual delight. They loved Jesus. They didn't mind to talk about it. They didn't seem awkward about it. They just loved Jesus, and it's something contagious about it, right? It either, like, inspire you or sometimes it'll frustrate you, like, man, what's, what's wrong with me, right? Um, the person I think in my life that I, I remember seeing that was such a huge change for me, uh, I was on a mission trip to China uh, when I was, after my sophomore sophomore year in college, uh, so I spent some time in China. And uh as we were there, one of the things that we had prayed for every day was a divine appointment. that we would, We'd run into somebody that, like, here's the reason why we got up this morning. Um, and so when we got to China, though, as we were praying for that, uh, our missionaries, one of the things that we learned that you're not supposed to do when you're in China is you're never supposed to tell anybody that you are a missionary uh, because a lot of times I'll actually send people that will look for Americans and they'll look at you, and they'll and they'll sense the secret police will send someone to come up to you and say, "Are you a Christian? I'm hoping you're a Christian. Please tell me about Jesus." And you go, "Well, yes, I am." And then all of a sudden, the secret police came out of the alleyway and would kind of sort of escort you away. Um, and so we learned that I went to um, China in 2001. Okay, and while we obviously know that was like July that happened, what happens in September changed the airlines forever, right? Um, but Uh, Also, before we went on the trip, some of you all remember this: that there was a U.S. spy plane that went down in China. Some of you all remember this. There was a spy plane of ours, and we're like, "Oh, we didn't know that was there, and it went down into China." And they had our pilot, and they were kind of saying, "Are we going to give him back?" And and kind of, you know, relations were a little bit difficult between the United States and China. Uh, We went there, but it was just kind of a weird time, and. uh, so as we would pray every day, we just knew this. If someone comes up to you and says you're a missionary, you're supposed to say no, which I thought, oh no, that good of evangelistic tactics that is, right? Um, but one night, three of the guys that were on my team were going out and they were saying, you know, just saying hello to everyone in Chinese and and whatnot, which it's you're supposed to sound it like this, like niha, is how you're supposed to say it. But these guys from South Carolina were like, nihao, hee hee. That's the way it sounded. Uh, so it was just really, really bad. Um, but so a lot of times people, they would hear it. and They would start laughing and giggling and running off. And um, well, one night as they were going around talking with people, this one girl came up to them. And no lie, she was like, uh, she, she came running back. And in very good English, she's like, you're Christians, aren't you? You're Christians. Please tell me you're Christians. Please tell me it's true. And they're like, what are you talking about? It was exactly, exactly like the scenario told us. And um, they're like, what do you mean? And she's like, you're a Christian. I can tell you're a Christian. I can tell it by your smile. Do not lie to me. And so, like, they, they, they kind of, you know, just kept getting pressured by this uh, little girl. Anyway, I'm, I'm sitting back at the, the house and uh, eating my fried chicken feet for dinner that night. Uh, fried chicken feet on a stick, actually. It's kind of like a corn dog. But anyway, the claw and it's, it's a great meal. You need to try to have it sometime. Uh, and knock on the door. And all of a sudden, they, they say, hey, Travis, this is Amy. And I'm like, hi, Amy. And she's like, Travis, you are the answer to my prayers. And I was like, what prayer is that? She said, I've been praying for God to send me someone to teach me the Bible. And I said, oh, that's great. Well, what what do you mean? And she says, well, I've been a Christian for six months, and I've only led 60 people to the Lord. Then she said, can you teach me to do better? And I'm like, uh... I don't know if you're English. It sounds like you said 60 people to the Lord in six months. She goes, I know I'm so ashamed. Please teach me to do better. I've been praying that someone from the United States would come and teach me how to share my faith better than what I'm doing. I'm like, don't listen to any of us, okay? You just do you, okay? Like, don't. And, and so that night, she brought all these kind of people over to the house of the apartment we were staying in, and she kept calling people, and she would hang up the phone, and she's like, five of our brothers are coming, or three of our sisters are coming, and I was like, Man, what is this, the Chinese Duggers? Like, I didn't, I didn't, it was just so many people. And she's like, no, this is our, this is our Christian. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're coming. I said, oh, great. She goes, can I call some people who aren't family? And I said, sure. And so we just, eventually, like, I had like about 30 people in our little room there, and they're all like staring at me, you know, and I just feel awkward. So I was like, me how? You know, just, I didn't know what else to say. And, and Amy looks at me and she says, she says, Travis, she says, is Amy a God name? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, is Amy a name in the Bible? And I said, I, I don't think it is. And she goes, well, I want a Bible name. I said, okay. She goes, and you will give it to me now. And I was like, there's a lot of pressure when someone wants you to rename them on the spot, right? There's just a lot of pressure. I remember feeling a little overwhelmed and I was like, uh, well, um, I've, I've always, and literally 30 Chinese people just stared at you like on the edge of their seat like what's he going to, it's a renaming ceremony. So I was like, Uh, I've always liked the name Naomi. And she was like, Naomi, that is my name forever. Call me Naomi, call me Naomi. And then the craziest thing happened. People started like lifting up their hands going, Give me a name. Give me a name. So I was like, "Okay, you shall be Paul, <laughs> and thou art Sarah." I mean, I renamed everybody. If you ever get to rename a whole village, do it sometime. It's awesome. Um, and so, rename everybody in there. And 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 it was this beautiful moment. They said, "Will you teach us some of the more of the Bible?" And so I, I taught in that room people who knew Jesus and those who didn't. We began to speak in two different languages. We began to pray in two different languages. We began to worship in two different languages. And boy, did it sound like heaven to me! Just beautiful, 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 and. It was just amazing to me to see here this Amy slash Naomi now, uh, just the way that she would just go and she just share Christ with anybody. And then um, she she went with us with our missionary to the airport. And I can remember that as uh, we're going through some of the customs and this kind of stuff, getting ready to, to head out, um, he looks at me and he says, you're going to need to go tell your friend something. And I said, what? And I look over there and Naomi's in the middle of these communist guards with their guns in the airport and she's just sharing the gospel. She's she just getting into it or whatever. And he goes, you need to tell her that if she stays at this pace, she's probably not going to be able to do it for much for longer. And so I remember, like, we're getting ready to say our goodbyes, and I was like, Naomi, um, what, what were you doing over there with those guys? And she's like, I'm telling them about Jesus. And I said, yeah, I, I know that. And, like, this country's kind of weird about that right now, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and you know what could happen to you if you continue to do this. And she says, he died for me. Will I not live for him? okay and i remember giving her a hug thinking this would be the last time i ever see this girl you know and if i ever make i'll be shocked if she's who knows at the pace that she was going and i remember that somewhere along the the air uh, flight like back over to the states i'm i'm somewhere up, up, up in the airplane and i'm just sitting here thinking to myself like what is wrong with me like i she's a shame that she's only led sixty people to the Lord in Communist China in six months, and I'm sitting here going, "It was hard as all get out to talk to this guy next to me on the assembly line as I was raising money to get over here." Like he's just so, like, "What? What's off with me?" And, and somewhere around thirty thousand feet, I just remember this. This thought came in my head. Naomi's secret was this: she hadn't gotten over what Jesus had done for her yet. She just still was just enraptured by the fact He loves me. He died for me. I'll do anything. And, and that's why what we talked about this morning and what we're going to unpack a little bit further tonight is so very important for us that if you can stay like in all of Jesus, the things he asks us to do never seem burdensome. But if you feel like, well, yeah, I mean, I follow God and everything, and it's kind of whatever, and some days I do and some days I don't, yeah, the stuff he asks seems burdensome. But when you get to the place where you say, I am all in, and I'll follow him wherever. When you really realize who you're, you're with, it changes everything. And so in this, this first section here, it says consider. I want us to, to think through this for a second, that each of us has things in our lives we embrace doing and other tasks we avoid doing. Uh, what is your list? I want you to write down three items and reasons for each column, and, and in a moment, maybe just share like one of them with your table. So here's what I want you to do. What are three things that you, just, you love doing? You embrace it. Oh, I just love wake up in the morning and do this. And what are those things that I avoid doing? It could be laundry. It could be whatever, okay? What are those things that you just avoid? you just like, oh, it's a burden to do that. I want you to take a moment and try to write down a few of those really quick. On your mark, get set, go. All right, as you're writing those things down, here's what I want you to do at your table, just to make sure we're all talking in a little bit. If if you wouldn't mind at your table sharing either one thing that you love doing, you just embrace it. Oh, I just love waking up in the morning doing this. And if it's, hey, just listen to Pastor Travis' sermons, I get it, it's fine, don't worry, I will not be embarrassed if you say that at your table today, okay? Or what are those things that you avoid doing that you're just like, I do not want to hear Pastor Travis again, whatever it is, okay? But uh, if you wouldn't mind, a few of you at your table, just to sort of get us talking, what are something that you either embrace doing or you avoid doing, and what is the reason why? These can be silly, uh, these can be serious, but uh, really quick, a few of you at your table, on your mark, get set, go. All right, hopefully tonight... Uh, Maybe tonight you found something you, you confessed something to your table and said You know what, I just avoid doing this And somebody at the table said oh, I love to do that And you got your laundry done for a week, right? Because somebody's going to come alongside and help you maybe I don't, I don't know if that happened or not um, But here's what I know There are certain tasks that are just plain drudgery towards me like I, I, I know I've got to do it and I'm going to keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And I just, oh, goodness, goodness. And I'll, I'll finally get around to it. And then I'll be thankful that I'll, I'll do it. Uh, but then there's some kind of point where it also, there are certain tasks I just love doing. Like, I really get energized by it. Um, last night, uh, y'all, I'll, I'll be honest, some of you all are going to think I'm uh, sick on this. But we had a neighbor that came by and they were asking me. They said, hey, do you think, you know, we're going on vacation in a couple of weeks would maybe one of your sons like to earn some money and cut my grass? And I was like, I would like to cut your grass. And they were like, what? And they were like, and they said, no, 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 no. We don't want you. We, we know you're busy. And I was like, no, I love to. And they're like, are you sick? And I'm like, for me, I love yard work. I ab- now, don't get any ideas. I don't love everybody's yard work, okay? It's in moderation, okay? But, but there's something for me like, okay, just think about what I do every week. When I cut my yard last night, I can at least say that is done at least for this week. Okay, like I can look at it and it's complete. When you deal with people, when you deal with people, you walk away, go, "Oh, that's done." You never think that. You never think that. So for me, just getting a weed eater going, yep, got that done. Right now, I can see a difference. Like right away, it's therapeutic to me. And so I was like, "No, I I love doing it." And I was like, "I'll do it for free." And he's like, "You're weird." I'm leaving anyway. um, But there are sometimes, and so I get this. If you look down, there's certain things that you love doing. There's a reason why, right? There's a reason that you feel like that's beneficial. I enjoy that. I see the reason behind that. There's a purpose behind it. In this paragraph there, it says, what did you notice about your task? Um, I believe you will do hard things if you want something bad enough. Even if an assignment is challenging, you will approach it with joy if you value the benefit of accomplishment greater than the burden of the effort. I think all of us have seen that in our lives. If you feel like even if it's difficult, it's worthwhile, I'll do it. I'll do it. Why? Because it's joy. It's a joy thing. You go, I, I'm happy to do that. And so here's what I want to do is I want us to look at Mark chapter 10 as we study this passage here. Um, and, and you guys, a lot of you will know this story very well. Um, but I want us to look at again. This is about the rich young man, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Um, and we're going to see what took place in his life and how um, Jesus is sort of wanting to say, am I at that place of your delight? And this rich young ruler is going to go, nope. Not not at that specific spot. So so we'll read, we'll study some stuff. You can jot some notes down as you think through it. But here's verse 17. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do? Do to inherit eternal life. Now, the reason why I slowed down that word do is he's already got something off, doesn't he? What do I need to do to get saved? What do I need to do? Me specific. What do I have to accomplish to save? And Jesus is going to say, you don't have to do anything. It's not about what you have done. It's about what he's going to do. But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now stop. How many of y'all believe that guy? Okay, now let me ask you. Have you ever really known those really moral people though? That they really are, I'm not saying they're perfect, but they really do step inside the lines pretty much all the time. Some, some of those people get on your nerves, don't they, right? He's like, man, they always seem like they At least they act that way. They've got it all together. I believe this guy probably, he probably was fairly squeaky clean. <laughs> fairly. He might have been moral. Might have been ethical. Might have been a pretty good person. And you can tell why. He's saying, i, I got to do something to earn salvation. So Jesus says, well, keep well, you know, keep these commandments. If you, you know, no one's good except God alone. Wanting him to say, yeah, but I, I believe that you're good, Jesus, right? And meaning that you're God. Um, he said to him, I've kept all these from my youth. Now, I don't think this guy, I think probably um, if he had been pretty uh, moral, when he says, do not bear false witness, he just broke that one in front of Jesus, right? He just broke that. It's kind of like any of you sin this week, no, well, you just did. Okay, so I think this guy knows that about uh, this guy, but he, he lets him sort of make up his own answer there. And he said, he said to them, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And listen to this phrase. This is, this is beautiful to me. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sow all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, um, this is so counterintuitive about how all of us would normally think. Because here's this guy who comes up, all right? Let's just think, folks, if you've ever been a part of a church, and there's been sometimes um, I have some I have some friends that are uh, in serving in different church contexts that they are not as blessed as I am, okay? When I mean that to pastor such wonderful people as you. I have a lot of times on Sunday evenings or Monday mornings that some of my friends will call me and say, tell me again why I'm doing this, because I can't put up with these people anymore. They're absolutely crazy, Trav. I don't know what to do. Um, I have had some very interesting stories through the years of what people will say that's happening in their church and they'll get frustrated. But a lot of times a church will want to hire a young preacher because that's going to bring in all the young folks, right? Our church has just got nothing but the, the old folks. And we need some young folks. So how do you get young folks? Get a young preacher, and then magically, our church is going to transform into like Disney World, right? And so all the families are going to come because we got a young guy up there at, at, uh, as the preacher. Um, let me just tell you, young families might be interested in the young preacher, but if there's chaos and dysfunction all around the church family, they're not going to want to waste their time there, right? They're going to want to waste their, their children's childhood and dysfunction and backbiting and all this kind of stuff. And so a lot of times people say, they want me to come in and just my presence is going to bring in the folks. And and so I say that to go, here is the kind of person that most churches say they want. He's young, he's rich, and we don't know if he's married or not. doesn't say anything about a wife, but maybe he can marry one of our girls, right? Okay, I mean, like, this is prime candidate, Jesus you have picked off 12 guys who've all left their jobs. Money's kind of tight. We don't have a place to live. We don't have a steady flow of income. And you got a rich young man saying, coming up to you and saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? And what is Jesus doing? He's making it more difficult to follow them. And I go, Jesus, you need a couple of these guys in your back pocket who got lots of money, okay? Just calm down. And this phrase in verse 21 and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Now, this is this is a powerful statement that Mark pit, picks up. And, and Mark's writing this most likely from the perspective of Peter, who was right there in the middle of this when this happened. That he can tell that this guy comes up to Jesus, and Jesus goes, well, why are you calling me good? Only God's good. You know the commandments. You keeping these? Oh, yeah, I've kept all of them. Kept all of them from my youth. Never mess them up. I, I'm perfect. I'm, I'm perfect, Jesus. I'm good. Jesus looks at him, and there's something, just, just picture it for a second. There's something in Jesus' expression that Peter goes, he really does love this guy. What's he about to say next? And then he says the hardest thing this guy has ever heard in his life. Out of love for him. Did you catch that? Like most of the time we think that when people say something wrong, like or bad to us, like it's a, it's out of hate. Jesus is showing, gosh, I love this guy. He is messed up and prideful and he thinks he's perfect. I love him. So I'm going to tell him the most important thing he needs to hear right now. You got to sell everything you have and give it away to the poor. That's what you need to do. Now, there's a lot of challenges in this statement, but I, I want us, when you look um, at that next question there, and I think it's here, why do you think this event is recorded right after what happens in Mark 10, 13 through 16? I'm going to... Let's go a few verses back. And I want you to think about that question. Why do you think this event happens? Okay? Because we always talk about that context is important in, in Scripture. Look what happens just the verses right before this event takes place. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him. Now, let me ask you this question. Now, I really do want a response here. Why do you think this event is recorded right after what happens in Mark 10, 13 through 16? Jesus is talking with kids, and all of a sudden here comes this rich guy. Show up. Why do you think these two things happen beside each other? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, hey, I want children, I want you to realize this isn't just an easy thing for you to come on, right? This is something serious. I think it's a great point. Something else you think of? Yeah. He's the complete opposite. What are the children going to bring to Jesus? Germs. Okay, like that's, that's what they're going to bring, right? Now, they're going to bring love and affection, but do they have anything to advance Jesus' agenda? No. And he's going, bring them, bring them, bring all of them. Come on. No, 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 no. And the disciples are like, get away. Get these kids away. He's doing a Bible study here. We don't want these dirty kids over here. And this is the only time in scripture that it's ever said that Jesus was indignant. He's mad. I mean, he's real mad. What are you doing? No, 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 no. no. Don't you push them away. You bring them over here right now. You're doing a holy religious Bible study and we need to focus. And so do they. You bring them here. me. Sometimes folks will say, Pastor, I just I don't know how you focus. I heard that kid that was so loud and, today in your service, and how did you focus? I don't hear him. I don't. I'm talking so fast, I can barely hear myself, right? Okay. I, and and here's what I want, here's what I want desperately. I want children in the room with us. Jesus wanted them there. I want them there too. I want their earliest memories to be sitting there with their family, listening about Jesus, singing to Jesus, praying to Jesus. I want that to be their earliest memories in there. And so so for me, here here he goes. I think there's an intentional reason why this happens is that here's a group of people who have nothing to give to Jesus, and Jesus goes, come on, the kingdom of heaven belongs to these guys. And then here's somebody who, in the world standard, has everything to give to Jesus. And Jesus makes it more difficult. And I go, why? Why, Lord? And I, I think this is, I think you guys hit on it. They are the complete polar opposite of each other. These kids they don't have anything to offer. They don't have anything to advance. This guy has everything, and Jesus is saying, I want you to come follow this when you've got nothing to give. And when you think you've got something to give, you're probably not ready to follow. And, and so these kids, I always I also think about this. What does it say to you about the fact that the kids and, and possibly their parents, grandparents, or want them around Jesus, but I also know this about kids. Kids have a way of figuring out what adults they want to spend time with and which ones they want to avoid. Have you ever noticed that? They just do. There are some kids that will see some adults and go, mm-mm. They're, they have a radar about them, right? Some of you are like, why do kids always yell and scream when they see me? I don't know. You need to check yourself, okay? But I know this, that, that sometimes that can happen. But you also know those adults that kids just like they're a magnet for, right? Jesus was that type of magnet to kids. The holiest man that ever walked the earth, kids wanted to be around. What does that say? It's something beautiful to me, right? Yeah, they had faith. They had faith going, this guy's the one everybody's talking about. Man, he's, I love his stories, and I love what he's doing, and, man, I just want to be around him. And they, they had this childlike, simple faith, and this guy wanted to show Jesus everything he was doing. And the kids just want to be there with him. That's it. They just want to be, get in his lap, hang out with him, tell him stories. Now, I, I don't want to go too far here, but you think, you think Jesus ever joked around with kids? Maybe played tag with him, tickled him, had fun with him. I don't think he had lollipops, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he, do you think he was the kind of guy that kids would want to be around? A- absolutely. It's, it's obvious that he was. And then you get right there, and I think it's obvious while these two things are together, that Jesus puts these, these events that are happening right before it. And um, why I, I put this next thing here, it says, um, what is the weight of this statement? We never see Jesus make this request to another person. What is the weight of that statement to this specific man? Now, I did look today, and there is another time where he looks at his disciples and says, you got to give everything away and follow me. So, so that that statement, let me quantify that. There's never a moment where Jesus interacts exactly the same as he does with this guy. So, like, when he looks at Matthew or when he looks at Zacchaeus or when he looks at even Peter and John, he doesn't tell all of them, sell everything you have and give to the poor. He doesn't tell that to everybody, but he does this guy. Specifically, he looks at him and says, no, no, no. If you're going to follow me... Uh, that is going to be something that you have to do, that you're going to have to sell everything and give it to the poor. Now, obvious reason, why did he ask this guy to do that? Because his greatest delight in his life was what? Money. Yeah, his wealth and his possessions. That was the thing that he loved more than anything. Position. Yeah, he was a ruler. He's in charge of something. So his position, status, finances, possessions, you name it, that was the greatest joy in his life, and that's why the guy says, put on the brakes here, because I want to follow you and keep my stuff. And Jesus goes, I'm not going to take second place to it, though. I'm not going to take second place. Some of you might say, the reason why Jesus never asked me to give everything away is I don't have a whole lot, right? But it's also not the amount that you have. Y'all all, all, always realize this, right? Some of the most greedy people I've ever seen in my life can sometimes be some of the most poor, right? Right? Or are they going to be the most rich? It just, does, it just depends, right? And so in this situation, this guy has a lot. You turn over the back page, uh, and, and what is this? What does Jesus' unique approach show us about his strategy? Somebody, why? Jesus goes to this guy specifically and says, I want to deal with you about your possessions and your position. Why does, what does this teach us about Jesus' strategy? I heard somebody say something. goes right to their heart. Absolutely. Go, you know, what's important to them, right? Uh, let's see. Peter and Andrew, James and John, where does Jesus call them? Where were they at when he called them? A fishing boat. And he says, what to them? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You realize he didn't say that to Matthew the tax collector. <laughs> Matthew would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> they never thought about it that way. He's specific, Right? Very distinctive with each specific person. And so so we get here, Jesus is, is handling each person differently. There are certain things that he calls all of us to, but he's interacting with them specific. Jesus doesn't have a cookie-cutter approach with everybody, right? He goes straight to their heart and does. Here, here's the deal. That paragraph that follows after that. Jesus' request was, wasn't a prerequisite. What I mean by that is when he says, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Here's what I believe because if you're if you're if you just take that verse out of context based on Jesus' teaching it almost sounds like this guy had to do something to earn salvation does that make sense and we know that's not the gospel so what's going on here Jesus's request wasn't a prerequisite it was an assessment his response revealed his commitment Jesus already loved him but this man didn't love Jesus he wanted his stuff more than he wanted Jesus and that's what's different here when he says okay Sell everything you have and come follow me. What he was doing was, how serious are you, boy? You really want to follow me? You really want to do this thing? All right, give the thing that's the most important thing to you right now in life and come follow me. And this guy goes, you will continue to have second place in my life. Uh, First place is my stuff. First place, my position, my status. Nothing else is going to get in the way of that. And so here's the thing. I, I love the fact that it says Jesus looking at him, he loved him. He absolutely loved him. So, folks, there's a picture of a time where Jesus loved someone and they didn't love him back. And a lot of times people in different theological camps want to say this or say that or whatever. Jesus loved this guy. He really did love him. And he was saying, yeah, you can follow me, all right? Just right? You're going to have to get that, that greatest delight out of your life. It's going to have to take a second seat. Um, it's going to have to go away. And yet, uh, this guy couldn't do that this next section that says discuss, here's what I want us to do. Um, What are some of the most significant distractions from following Jesus in our culture? Write down your list and share them as a group. Here's what I want you to do at your table. I want you to think this guy's distraction was money, right? It was position. It was status. You know, it was whatever it was. Those were a distraction for him that he couldn't follow Jesus because that stuff was going to hold him back. Now, You may say that those things are are work today, but there may be some other stuff. So as a table, I want you to start firing off some ideas, and you're just going to write down some notes here. What are some of the most significant distractions for following Jesus in our culture? On your mark, get set, go. All right, as you are sharing some of those, here's what I want. Uh, I want just just a few folks, will you share one distraction that maybe somebody at your table mentioned? If you were just sort of... Uh, say it out loud for us to make sure, and you may hear one that you go, ooh, I want to add that to my list. What are some common distractions that we find in, in our culture? Technology. Boy, technology, yep, all right. Our technology a few places, okay. Would you all agree with that? Yep, some of you are like, no, what do you mean? Okay, Um right. What else? Other than technology, what was said? Football? Sports? Why you got to talk about my... No, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, have you all have y'all ever realized this, that... You want your favorite team to go to overtime, and some people get frustrated when the service goes over five minutes because they're not going to get the buffet on time. Okay, so just consideration there. Uh, I just I remember watching y'all y'all a few years ago when Clemson was on the up. Y'all remember that uh, that when it was game of the week, Clemson versus Notre Dame, and like that monsoon hit. People were like, "Oh, this is the best game ever!" And then Sunday morning's like, "I got the sniffles. I can't come to church." I'm like, "Really?" I wonder where you got those. It could, be, it could be the chance of a little bit of ice on the road. People are like, preacher, we going to cancel services? It hadn't even snowed yet. It hadn't even snowed yet, right? And people are so eager. I, I'm giving my soapbox. I'm going to stop. Calm down. All right, calm down. I'm good now. Okay. All right, technology, football, sports, what else? Social media. Money. Entertainment. Drugs. To-do list. Yep. Alcohol. Peer pressure, work, I heard work. Okay, and and, now you understand what what I said this morning, some things are just bad in themselves and some of the stuff that you mentioned are good things but turn bad when they're in the wrong place. And that's what's so dangerous about this stuff, right? Some of it can be good stuff. Hey, can food turn into that? Absolutely it can because some of you are like, Thanksgiving is coming, folks. Prepare yourself, right? Um, And and so, uh, hey, can a relationship even with your spouse that you put all of your hope and affection into if i can i can't we getting real tonight folks okay y'all didn't sign up for all this we get real okay but here's the thing if all of your hope and happiness in life is determined upon how that person handles you and addresses you and what hey wrong position good person wrong position and so, so when you think through that, right, We put that out. That next little thing, out of all these mentioned, which ones present the most significant amount of concern for you personally? Circle two to three that could distract you from following Jesus. If you don't see your issues, feel free to add items that endanger you. But I would just encourage you to do that, just to get real for a second. Are there Are any on your, this list that we mentioned, and maybe you hadn't thought of it, but you just say, yep, I know these can be an issue for me. And um, because here's the thing, once again, getting a plan together, um, so I was talking with someone else about this uh recently and like okay here's here's how we would do this and they said to me i I know what the greatest delight is in my life and I want to see some of y'all would identify with this the greatest delight in my life is others approval is when other people say you're doing good and so what happens there is you can live for the approval of man rather than the approval of God and you like the that boys and the way to go and the paths on the back and you will t- you will step out of line just to get that some of us are approval addicts, honestly we're just doing whatever it takes to get other people to say yes you're doing good so then you start then if that's my where I need to find a light in, G- in Jesus more than the approval of others you've got to start thinking, so what do I need to do to make sure my heart is for him and not everybody else and so you start getting real specific in this this next this last section here evaluate. Um, Here's what this next little thing says. If someone watched you over the last month, what would they suspect could be the greatest delight of your life? These might be unhelpful habits or even healthy relationships or even religious activities. And so this would be for you right now to write down one of three possibilities. What would you say if somebody looked at your life over the last month or so? What would be some things they would say is the greatest delight of your life? And this is important for us to unpack. And so, so you may be writing down some of these things, and once again, you're developing your plan. But here's, um, as you do that, I want you to also turn really quick um, back to the left in Exodus chapter 32 for a second. Exodus 32, you're thinking through uh, what are those things on my list? What are the things that could that could possibly be at the wrong spot uh, following the Lord? In Exodus 32, second book of the Bible. Um, uh, God's people have just been rescued out of slavery uh, Ten plagues have happened Passover has happened uh, Red Sea, they've parted through They've gone walked through on dry ground Their, uh, their taskmasters have drowned in the Red Sea And they are on the way to the Promised Land And Exodus 32 Subtitle over that passage says The golden what? And we look at this and go, how in the world can these people get that messed up that quick? And I go, well, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, because what happens here, I want to show you something very important that maybe you've thought through. Maybe you've never seen this before. But verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, "Up, Make us gods who shall go before us. Stop for a second. When you get impatient and God doesn't deliver on your timetable, you will start stepping outside the lines. God, you said this was going to happen, and I gave you about five minutes. We are on minute six now. I'm taking matters in my own hands. So what does this guy do? We're not following God anymore. We're going to make it. Put it in our matters in our own hands. That sound familiar, anybody? God, you're not. You're not stepping up. It's, it's, they got impatient. Moses is delaying. Take him too long. Uh, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to thee. What? You see that's all capital letters right there. They're invoking the name of Yahweh, the great I am right now. So they started by building these gods. They said, Today we're going to make a feast to Yahweh. Here he is. Here he is right here in our hands, this golden calf. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, so much in this passage we can unpack. For Tom's sake, this is where we I just want you to get this picture. So a bunch of former slaves that have lived most of their lives in captivity under the oppression of Pharaoh. They have now left Egypt, walking through the desert on the way to the Promised Land. And now they are tired of waiting on God to come up and answer them what they need to do next. So they decide they're going to make gods for themselves. So Aaron says, okay... I want you to get some gold together. And where did they find the gold? In their ears. Take off the jewelry. Let me ask you this. Where do a bunch of poor slaves who've had nothing get gold from? In Egypt. Exodus chapter 12. He said, when I show my mighty hand on these people, they're going to be taking off the earrings off them and saying, please take this, please take this, so your God will leave us alone. So follow this. The gifts that God had given them, they then turned into an idol. The gifts given by God turned into their own idols. Folks, that's where it happens. Sometimes it's not bad stuff. It's good stuff that becomes God's stuff. That's what happens. They said... Here are these earrings that we got. How'd you get that again? Oh, because we were slaves and we couldn't get out. But God rescued us with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Yeah, that stuff that He gave you. Why don't you now take it off and form it to your own god? That's what happens, folks. We look at that story and think it's very far from us. It is not far at all. Because how many of us take something that God has given, something good, and then we turn it into something it should never be, and put it on an altar that it should never have been set. And here. Here's the picture, folks. Maybe the stuff that you're getting most delight in in your life right now, if it's not the Lord, it might be stuff that he has given. But you have just tried to put it in his place. And that's what's so dangerous about this one, and this one has to be unpacked a little bit. And So when you you think through it, it says, uh, what must you do to reposition Jesus onto the throne of your joy? What must you do to reposition Jesus onto the throne of your joy? Um. So when you start looking at the way this distinctive discipleship plan would work is you would say, okay, if my issue is uh, the greatest delight in my life right now is people's approval, or maybe it is my house or my possessions or my status or my relationship or whatever, like that's, I just, and once again, if you could just tell me, like, if this would just work right, you'd be all good, that might be the place that you got to start working on. And so, so what would you start doing? Well, for some folks, if you feel like that, Your financial security is what gives you the most greatest delight in your life. You might need to be like the rich young ruler and start selling some of that stuff and giving it away. That's how to fix it. Nip it in the bud, right? That's what you got to do. Go right at it. That's what you have to start doing. Some of you, you might say, you know what? I have this relationship issue, and it's causing me. That's the greatest delight in my life. You have to start saying, how do I start putting Jesus in that place rather than that person? Hey, Garden of Eden, folks. Garden of Eden, all the way back to the very beginning. God looks at Adam and says, I'm going to tell you all I'm about to punish you right now. Because you listened to the voice of your wife, whoa, feminists everywhere start marching right now, right? What do you mean saying we can't, you know, because this, it's not that he listened to Eve, it's that he listened to Eve before him. He listened to Eve before God. Eve's voice carried more weight than God's voice. God had told him what not to do, but Eve wanted to eat and he listened to her more than God. That was the problem. So that position in there, so what must you do to reposition Jesus onto the throne of your joy? Um, I'm going to ask for some people, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to need some people to read this. We're going to end our time um, here today by reading some of these verses out loud. So I'm just going to call out some of them. I need somebody to look them up. So who will read Psalm 37.4 for me? Got it? Philippians 3.8. All right, Ashley. John 15.11, Rick. 2 Corinthians 1.24. Got it? Philippians Philippians 1.25. Matthew thirteen forty four, great. All right, Psalm sixteen eleven for you, okay. Psalm ninety fourteen, great. First Peter one eight, got it, Haskell. And I give you Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, okay. All right, as you're looking these up, um, I picked every single one of these verses because they have something to do with joy. Something to do with delight. And once again, um, I want us tonight to really think about this. Um, I, I really hope this morning made sense to you, but I don't want us right now giving God flowers like defying about it. Here's what you want us to do, God. I want it to be something like our joy is wrapped up in his joy. And when we give and we make sacrifices and we do things, it should not be out of a sense of misery. It should be out of a sense of joy. Like, of course I would want to do this. Why? because I hadn't gotten over what he's done for me yet. That's that's the goal. And so um, I want us just to read these verses, and sometimes I think it's just good just to hear the word and just to soak in it and just be able to really go, man, this is uh, God's word for us right now as it relates to our joy. So I'm going to call out the verse, and if you have that one specifically that I gave you assignment for, I want you to read it out loud for us. And once again, these would be good things for you to study or memorize. or whatever. So Psalm 37.4, who had that? Philippians three eight John fifteen eleven Second Corinthians one twenty four Philippians one twenty five Matthew thirteen forty four Psalm sixteen eleven Psalm ninety verse fourteen. First Peter one eight. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. I love that verse, and, I, and all these verses are so powerful. But if you just listen to I wanted that one to be last because of this reason. He, Jeremiah says, I found your words and I ate them. I'm just kind of like, that sounds weird. But God had commanded him to do. But he says, they became to me the delight and joy of my soul. Just his word is a delight. It's a joy. It should bring about just absolute, just wondrous beauty and bliss in our life. Now, folks, I know that because... We're in a church, you've heard this say at some point, that there's a difference between happiness and joy, and I I, I totally agree with that. But some of us, there needs to be some type of fruit of joy in our life. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And that doesn't mean you're happy-go-lucky and, oh, everything's fine, praise the Lord, hallelujah, all the time. But I also believe this, joy can be seen. Joy is evident. Joy, I have seen joy and delight in people at the roughest, lowest parts of their life. And it is intoxicating to me. When I see somebody who's walking through some of the hardest things and they still seem just impassioned to follow Jesus, I go, goodness gracious, I want to be like that right there. And so for us folks, um, next five weeks we're going to talk about the disobedience we got to deal with, the next doctrine that you need to study, next stage of development in your life, that next spiritual discipline that you need to hit, and those prayers of dependence that you're working on. But can I tell you, you're not going to get to these five until you start saying, I want to do them. I want to do them, God. I don't have to do them. I get to do them. And I'm telling you, if you can get that in your head, it changes everything. changes everything. So let's pray together. What I want to do is, uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer, so I want you right now just to ask God that maybe if you have already picked out that one area that you need to work on with uh, joy in your life, that delight, that you know something that you need to delight in uh, in Jesus more than that thing, um, I want you just to just confess it before. Maybe tonight God made it very clear what it is to you, that it is the greatest source of your joy right now, and it may even be a good thing, but it's just in a bad place. If you have that right now, I just want you to be honest with your father and say, God, uh, this I believe that I'm finding more joy and delight out of this issue than I am you, and, and I need your help uh, reorienting those things. So Would you just take a moment and just pray specifically about your area that you need to work on? any of you think of a time in your own spiritual walk where you felt more joy than you do right now? That there was a sense of eagerness about you? That you felt like, man, there was that time that it just, it just something was just right. And maybe there may be some things that you need to stop doing or start doing maybe to reclaim that. But I think right now it would just be a good thing and just, just pray like David. Will you restore to me the joy of your salvation? God, restore that joy. I, I don't want to be doing this out of uh, force, but I really want to do this out of joy. So would you just pray and say, God, will you, will you help me? Will you provide the joy that I need to, for this journey? We know that um, we want to delight ourselves in you um, you give us the desires of our heart we want to find that joy that you restore to us that guy, we would not be people who are burdened by following you but we are just enraptured with the opportunity to do it we don't have to follow you we get to you set your love upon us before we ever loved you and that should just mesmerize us tonight because you know everything about us the stuff that we've tried to cover up, the stuff that we thought maybe a couple of decades has passed and maybe no one else knows about, you still know it. And yet, you still choose to love us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so tonight, um, help us. Um, I pray that over this day that we've really, that your spirit has directed our path of what we have to really work hard on. It. And some of it may be a material possession, a relationship, or a habit. Maybe it's something that we own, that honestly owns us. That we just love so much and protect so much. And it has tried to take your throne. And Lord, we, we need to be like King Josiah, which kicked out all those idols and brought them down and say, it's eviction day for all that stuff. It's got to get out. And, um, so we want to be at a place where it's not a burden to follow you, it's a joy to follow you, it's an opportunity It's a delight to us. And so, God, we just pray that you would just change our hearts, provide the joy and be the catalyst that we need. And so, God, we just ask that you would just do uh, an amazing thing in our midst as we continue to follow you. And, Lord, just pray that you would take this time even here today as an offering of worship and praise to you.